0: Hi, my name is Ari Stein, and this is the 52 Insights Podcast. This week, well, it's a little bit different. And when I say different, I mean just a little bit special. I've managed to snag a DM with one of the greatest actors alive the Academy Award winning actor and now best selling author behind his first book, Green Lines Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey has built quite the reputation over the years for being able to give life to a myriad of complex characters that we have fallen in love with over and over, bringing a unique charm, sensitivity, confidence, and depth that remains unmatched. Whether it's Cooper in the sci-fi masterpiece Interstellar, the grimacing Russ Cole in True Detective, Ron Woodruff fighting for his life in Dallas Buyers Club, or even the spellbinding performance of Mark Hanna, who stole our attention in The Wolf of Wall Street. It's hard not to be inspired by the shape-shifting transition that McConaughey has undertaken over his career, almost unfathomable. From rom-com star to critically acclaimed actor to now author and mystical cowboy poet. With so much unhealthy scrutiny around celebrities these days, it's hard to find someone so visible that is able to open up their heart and without fear of reprimand. He refuses to live in hiding, or as he says, insulated rather living his best self and learning at the same time. I was thinking about my approach to this interview during the weeks leading up to it. And it's funny, at the same time reading Green Lights, I took the advice that he gave me inside it. be nothing short of your true self, which he calls self-ish. And that's why I think you'll hear the great rapport we build reflected in this chat. What I like about Matthew is that he's not only open-minded, but carries a solid bullshit detector with him one that has allowed him to scrape through some of the toughest challenges in his life. Now on the other side of 51, he is ready for a new type of challenge, using his fame and visibility to truly help what he sees as a trust crisis. We're all a little frail right now and could do with a generous scooping of truth. So without further ado, I give you my talk with actor and author Matthew McConaughey. How are you doing?
1: I'm relatively pretty good, man. Down in Texas, trying to deal with this freeze and trying to help some people out down here.
0: Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you about that. How's that going down there?
1: Yeah, we, we um, as Texans, we do good. We're we, we good at pulling up our bootstraps and dealing with tornadoes and hurricanes and heat waves. Yeah. but come down here and freeze us now.
0: This is a whole, like, whole different ballgame. Wow. Yeah. A whole different
1: ballgame. So our energy systems were not, were not insulated and that led to no power, which led to frozen pipes, no water. So we still got people down here with no water. We're trying to, you know, get people what they need because there's some people down here that really can't help themselves, so.
0: Yeah, what's your role that? You're using your, your foundation to kind of do some fundraising and stuff?
1: We're gonna do doing a, um, uh, a virtual fundraiser we got a concert went out to went out to 10 different uh texas musicians so we're gonna have a big concert coming up here in a couple weeks um and going out to different companies and it's called a a weird texas uh benefit where um we're gonna give some entertainment to people around the world and you'll be able to donate um along the way and that money we're vetting where that money goes and where it's needed here on the ground yeah
0: anyone special anyone you want to
1: yeah, but I but I but I but by contract I can't say right now. But it's a good lineup. All
0: right, all right. Um, well, look, I want to say this first. I want to say, you know, we have uh, interesting people come and talk to us, and you know, you're definitely one of those extraordinary people. And first of all, I just want to say, you know, you know, it's a, I finished reading your book, Green Lights, is brilliant. Thanks, man. Fantastic. Um, you know, at times profound and a lot of insight, and we need that, in, 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 you know, in, a, in the world right now, a lot of chaos and turbulence and stuff. So, look, I know you're a busy man. I thought we could do something fun for this and just kind of, I had, like, you pen for five different areas. Yeah. And I thought you could pick one and we could just jump in and, and just see where we get to. What do you think? I've got childhood, philosophy, existentialism, that's one, and two, fame, politics and your future. Where do you want to begin?
1: <laughs> Let's start with the first one. Childhood? <laughs> childhood? Childhood philosophy and existentialism. Now, if we can get that son of a gun done in under 45 yeah. minutes, we're pulling something up. We'll make off.
0: it happen. So I'm not your therapist, but I'll do my best. <laughs> um, all right, well, look, what, what came at me, the childhood part, you know, a lot of your book was about your development, your upbringing, and... Um, I think, you know, it felt like to me that there there was a little bit of turbulence in your childhood. It was quite physical. At least to me it felt different to my own childhood. So, you know, it's important Mm -hmm. for me to try and make that leap and relate to you. Yep. You called getting your dad a rite of passage. That for me is not something I can relate to. I remember throwing a potato at my dad's head um, but not 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 hitting my dad being a rite of passage, that could seem quite extreme to some people, do, do, don't you yeah. think, in a, in a way?
1: Yeah, well, especially in today's world, um, you know, we're, we're trying to evolve our 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 parenting skills and our relationships between children and parents. It's not, it wasn't. Uh, as you said, yours was different, throwing a potato <laughs> was, was, was different than was mine. My dad, that's the generation he grew up in. That's how he, his dad... That's how he was raised. It was like nobody grounded anybody because they were like, I'm not going to take away your damn time. And it was physical. Um, you know, uh, slap a belt, what have you. And it was over with. Um, my dad was a big bear of a man. Um, and I think that passage you're talking about, I talked about hitting my dad being a rite of passage. It's a it's a rite of passage I did not choose to partake in. <laughs> it's one that I went, uh-uh, no, no way. Um... And you know, part of it is it's a little more Old Testament. Part of it's, it, it, it was a raising it was a little bit more fear based. Um, now, I don't, as you know from, from reading the book, I don't, I don't judge them for that, and I still don't. I don't, I don't believe that they raised me wrong. I Believe they raised me really well. Um, they had different means of going about it than I do as a parent now, or that most parents that I know do go about it. Um, but I know and I knew then pretty clearly what they were trying to get across. I don't remember any of the butt-wopened. I do remember the pain on my dad's face when I wouldn't tell him the truth and he asked he gave me four chances to tell him the truth and I lied all four times. I remember the anguish on his face without saying a word looking at me like, what do I gotta do? How am I failing as a dad that you won't just tell me the truth of? something I already know happened, and you lied to me again, and each time I lied to him, he got more distraught. That's what I remember. I felt that. Um, Oh, good, I I hope so. You know, that was a real challenge in the writing of the book, is I can tell you these stories and perform them, and you can hear my voice, you can see, and you can tell they're a love story to me. But boy, to put the pen to the page, when you don't have my performance, I was like, can I get across that humanity that I'm not judging, that it was a love story. and look, I tell, you know, my mom read the, 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 the book and she's like, yes, all this is true. I do wish you would have told more of the stories about the 99% of the time where we were all hugging as a family. And I was like, yeah, I hear you. And then I thought to myself, why did I write? Why do I write and tell the stories that are usually have some sort of fight or violence around them? And my answer right now is this, is that those are the times where the love that we had in our family was tested the most. Or you would think, that it might break. You would think that this family bond we had, that these are times where, uh uh-oh, it may all blow up. When in fact, it never had a chance of breaking. There was never in question that that was the end of anything. Even with my mom and dad getting divorced twice. Well, they were married three times. So what what ended up winning out? (laughs) The being together, not the being apart. That was never really in, in, in question. Um, that the love that a family had could be broken, even though those times, and I think that's why I tell those stories, is that's when that love was tested the most.
0: Did you ever feel like you had to measure up to either of your parents? I know, speaking for myself, that a lot of people, at least my friends and people you come across in life, struggle with trying to emulate certain aspects or qualities of your dad, or your mom, a lot of insecurities kind of emerged from that Sure. as a consequence. Did you, did, you, did you kind of find that?
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Well, to live up to my dad was always something that I, 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 I aspired to do. Um, to be a young man in his eyes was something I aspired to do that didn't happen until, that story in some ways, until I was like 19. Um,
0: yeah, I mean he What would was, he, he made of the book?
1: That's a great question. What would he have made above the book? He might have said the same thing my mom said. God dang, buddy. These stories are true. I know that happened, but man, oh man. What about all those other times when we which was most of the time when we were all getting along? Maybe that's what he would maybe that's what he said he would have said. He would have he would have loved the stories. I would, have, I would have liked to have conversations of things I know now about him. Like for instance, that when I called him and told him I want to go to film school instead of law school, and he says, don't half-ass it. It's very clear to me now that it was not only, it, it, that it was very much the way I asked him. He could tell I wasn't really asking him for his permission. And that's what made him get excited and go, damn right, go do that, don't half-pass it. He could tell that his son was choosing his own path that was distinct and never talked about before in our mm. family. It was an original thought and an original path. And I think that excited him. And the fact that I was not bluffing, I was not really asking him permission. And that's what I think he loved about it, why he gave me the affirmation uh, so quickly to go, yes, go do that.
0: When I was reading your book, I, you know, read the part where you talked about losing your father quite spontaneously, and um, I, I lost my father quite spontaneously quite recently, so I know I know how that that feels. You didn't talk it too deeply about the the that potential. I don't know if if you related to it the the, the mourning period. Was there more you wanted to say about losing your father? Quite so. F- quickly and I don't want to be too contentious here, but not being able to say goodbye to him in the way that you might've wanted to. No, I never really thought of that.
1: I mean, I will say this, if it would have happened, if he would had passed away two years prior, I would have felt incomplete because we did have two years of a relationship where now we were mates. Now we could have a beer together. Now we could share stories and I could share them as an independent man who, with him, who was also his son. But before then it was always, you're my son first. So I wasn't, I couldn't share things. I felt like I was being measured or feeling like he had, felt like he had to be a father to me. So we did have two years before he moved on in my life where we were somewhat peers. He didn't have to feel like he was, I wasn't going to him only for fathership or only for his approval. And he wasn't speaking to me only as a father or a teaching lesson. And so we had two years where we could joke together about a common experience together that we had. We could give opinions about something, something we liked, a movie, a person, a book that we never really could before. So if, it, if he'd have moved on two years earlier, I think I would have felt very incomplete because I'd have never had that time with him where we got to be buddies, which I did get to have because he passed away about two years after that. That happened for us.
0: You talked about my home, home, Australia, just moving on. And it's funny, you said, if if it taught you at the end, you said, um, if it taught you anything, it taught you about loneliness. Thank you, Australia. Um, so, so no, thank you for reminding me why I left. (laughs) What do you think of Australia now? I mean, it's, it's hard for me to relate to because it's, I find it intellectually barren.
1: Well, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time there through business and work and travel since, and you know, one of the things I even recognized, even in that wild year I had where I was losing my mind in the, the story of the, in the book, is that um, Australians have a great sense of humor, um, and they love to not, they love to, you know, take the piss, as they say, out of uh, uh, others, and also, also really enjoy being the brunt of the joke. So, I mean, I've spent time up north in Port Douglas, I've spent time in the interior, I just went with my son to Sydney here recently and for a very quick trip in and out. I get along well with Australia. You know, now I got along well with Australia then. I just had. They were (laughs) crazy, man. They were crazy. I was, I was, I just had a, you know, I was, it was, it was the, the place I was at that time in my life trying to figure out who the hell I was. Um, as you know, you've read the story. It was, it was a wild uh, time. Look, I, you, I also, when I say thanks for that loneliness is I, you know, I'm a fan of solitude um, by reading the book. And that's where I learned the value of solitude. That's where I was, man, my Socratic dialogue was, I was writing 14 page letters to myself and returning those letters to myself just to have a, just to get it out of me, just, just to have a little, I didn't have anyone talk to. And jerking off to the barn jacking off to Lord Byron with U2's rattling hum in the background. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great stuff, man. I mean, hilarious. And 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 then at the time, I don't think I'm losing it. At the time, I think, hang in there, we've got another day, everything's okay. And I look back and it, it, it's stuff I was writing and doing and it is freaking hilarious. Well, you see it in the story. I think it's hilarious. Um,
0: yeah. Doing. So... Let's uh, let's move to the um, existential part. I want to I want to I want to go a bit deeper. Um, I was quite intrigued by the level of candor in your book. I, I didn't expect it. I, I know you you collated the book from notes and journals that you kept over your life, but it allowed me kind of a deep insight into your persona. I mean, you know what the world sees of you is only on screen and certain movies. You portray certain characters, so you reveal yourself in a much deeper way and. You recently said in an interview, you know, I mean, I'm still interested in the same things I, was at fi- I am at 51, then I was at 14, I'm still asking those existential questions, who am I, what am I doing here, what's my relationship with the world? Do you feel like your book, the process of writing the book brought you any closer to figuring that out?
1: Yes, in that I'm much, I can be more honest with myself. And I also, look, the book closed the gap between who I am and the world's perception of me. That was part of a selfish
0: reason for even writing. What do you think I'm the world's perception to... of you was though?
1: Um, I mean, the, the, uh, there's a part of the world that has always sort of thought like, yeah, Pecanae just wakes up in the morning and somebody tells him, hey, head over here and go do this and he just rolls out of bed and does it and hey all right all right all right cool what are we doing today um you know and and there's a uh, I think the book reveals at least that there's a a, um, a method or an approach that that in play I don't think the world has any I don't think the world's ever ever thinks I run into much resistance. And I think the book, at my own expense, hopefully humorously at many times, you go, oh, wow. Now, there's been a lot of resistance and even self-created resistance. But I don't, um, you know, choose to take that in. I haven't chosen in the past to take that into my life and say, do you understand? Because who the hell wants to hear, you know, if something's hard, you know, it's like I'll share that in the book about there was a method or there was preparation or there was actually many screw ups to lead to many successes. Um, And I don't think the world thinks that I like um, step in shit near as much as I have. Yeah. You
0: You said every night we sleep with ourselves. We only have one choice, which is to forgive ourselves. I really like that line. We have to face ourselves every night. I mean, I I know exactly what you mean there. To me, that means forgiveness and self-love. What does that mean to you? Well, sometimes it's about forgiveness.
1: It's not always. Sometimes it's about I'm sick and tired of who I this part of me of who I've been being. I'm tired of it. the buck stops here. I'm changing it. I'm changing a habit. Because I if it's all about forgiving everything, well then we're just letting ourselves off the hook and we kind of become repeat offenders, you know, of the same thing that maybe didn't pay us back in our life or the same actions or Hanging out with the same people, going to the same place, the same habits we have that aren't really helping us evolve. So sometimes it's about, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm not doing, th- I'm, t- I'm tired of this part of you, McConaughey, me talking to myself. I- I'm, not, I'm not putting up you. Any- no, I'm not forgiving you yet. I'm sick of it. So we stop it, change a habit. Also, you know, that's that final line. What do we, a lot of times it is about that. Well, no, I'm, 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 I'm forgiving myself for this. I'm gonna let you slide, you're human. We're gonna move on. Try not to be a repeat offender. Do we seek some real retribution? Do we really wanna change it? Yeah, but come on, I'm being a little hard on myself. Don't be, the, don't, be such a, don't be such a, sometimes we're too arrogant with the extent with which we're the judge and jury of ourselves. And I have to remind myself, I think we all do. Who the hell do I think I am for being the judge and jury and telling myself that this is wrong? Well, wait a minute, come on, let me, let me screw up a little bit here. Let me give myself a little slack. Um, but then other times I think it's what I was saying earlier. No, I'm not forgiving myself. I'm, I'm, I'm change, i changing, I got to change something. Because if I, uh, this old, you know, the old metaphor, of like, yeah, screw up all week, then go ask for forgiveness on Sunday, then go back and do it again. I'm like,
0: come on, man. Yeah,
1: I'm not buying that. That, that's, that sounds, sounds like a bit of a cop out to me.
0: But I guess what I'm trying to figure out from the book, the, the, the one of the key things that, that I took away from your life or the way that you write is that there's two McConaughey's There's the bravado McConaughey. We see some of it on screen. We see it in the book. But there's also the vulnerable and sensitive McConaughey. And and I felt like you were traversing both of those kind of personas when you talk about the way the world sees you and then you felt like a a breath of relief because you were able to write the book that you want to show the world who you really are. Uh, Would you say there are like two... McConaughey's the way that I describe it? Um, yeah,
1: but I would, I don't know if I, I, wouldn't, I would have trouble seeing them as two different mm-hmm. people. I don't have sort of zones that I go into and go, well, now I'm the sensitive, you know, uh, introspective McConaughey. And now I'm the, hey, I'm confident. I know who I am. A yeah. McConaughey. Um, look, man, one feeds the other. You know, one of the things in going back and writing this book that was scary for me was, ooh, I'm gonna be embarrassed, ooh, I'm gonna feel shame, ooh, I'm gonna feel guilt, and ooh, I'm gonna really not like that arrogant little bravado prick I've been in my life at times. And I went back and looked at myself and there were times I was like, oh geez, oh man. <laughs> Who the hell? What a what a what a what a punk. What a know-it-all little punk you are. But here's what it's really fun about that. Yes, that was embarrassing. But what I found out is that every time that maybe I was er- uh, that I was that arrogant little prick in my life, very soon after that, I got humiliated and brought down to earth. So my math would say, well, I'm glad you were the arrogant little know-it-all prick or you wouldn't have the confidence to put yourself in the position to get slammed back down to earth. I mean, so one feeds the other throughout. I would also not be able to go forward with the confidence that I can in life sometimes without doing the work on the sensitive side of the or, or the introspective side of going I want to I want to I want to question everything. I want to I want to question myself. I want to know my intentions. I want to know why I'm doing things. And if I understand that, then I can come to you freely and going. Yeah. I'm ready. I did the work. I'm prepared to go, and I'm, I'm 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 prepared to go out and put me on. Give me the mic. Let's go because I've hopefully done the work, not just in career but in 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 life. Who I am, what how I want to treat people, how I want to be treated, what I'm what I'm for, what I'm against.
0: Yeah, the, I mean, I'm very aware that when you say doing the work, I believe so wholeheartedly in that. I've you know I've been meditating for over ten years and all types of contemplative things that I take very seriously in my own life I believe you're the only one that's responsible for doing the work no one else is right. if if you don't do it then people will exploit that and take advantage of you i hope those two terms sound familiar <laughs> because that's what we hear that hollywood is built on exploitation and and taking advantage so i guess what i want to turn to is the the idea that you know being in your 20s and 30s in hollywood is is like is hard, you know, I guess there are so many so many things you have to turn down and 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 you really have to focus. And I'm aware that you've come out of that and you're you're 51 or so. Many celebrities and, and actors come before probably experience inner demons and torment the ones that you describe in your book, some of them, many of them succumbing to the demons. So how would you say yeah. you stay grounded through that period and you've come out the other side?
1: Mm, well you know the the challenge for a young person in hollywood is that it's the land of infinite yeses you want to do that you want to be that yeah yeah it's all there here you go have another well when geez, you're winning man, then it's not well when you're winning but also when you're trying to you know hey winning so let's act like we're winning You know what I mean? Even though we're we're, we're down on the scoreboard. Um, Let's at least play the part. Like, hey, you know, and yes, I'll have another. Yes, let's do that. I mean, it's not a great place to go find yourself Um, because in some ways there's not enough resistance. There's not a compass. It's people go to Hollywood literally to reinvent themselves, be who you want to be. Well, man, if you want to be who you want to be, that's a, whoo, I'm 51. That's a, I'm dealing with that right now. Who do I want to be? Going from here. And I ain't got it figured out yet. So at that age, you know, it's not, it's, it's a tough place to go find yourself. I mean, I would also say this, though. I knew, and you see in the book, there's I. I took off on my own at times when all that stuff was was open to me for the first time. All those options, all that affluence was there, all that I love you and champagne and opulence was there. I was like, I'm not sure what which, which of the stuff matters. I gotta get out of here to go hear myself think. I gotta go find some discernment. Um, it's that line I got in the book, hey, when you can, ask yourself if you want to before you do. Well, when I was started first succeeding in Hollywood, I could, do a whole lot more than I could before. So I'm like, well, this is the first time you're off. I could even, this was an option. The answer is yes. (laughs) Well, hang on a second. All these yeses are starting to feel like I'm feeling like I'm running on reserve on my spiritual side. I sometimes feel like my feet aren't on the ground. As the roof got taken off my head and all the options were there for me, my feet came off the ground a little bit, which I think as anybody could understand in that position. I needed to go to way to get grounded spiritually with who the heck I was. But first of all, who was I not? And I think that's a really useful tool that I've recognized and try to share in the book is it's hard to know who the hell we are. It's hard as hell to know what we want to do. So take a little pressure off ourselves and go, let's identify who we are not first. Let's identify what we don't want to do.
0: Well, I can, probably say that if you don't know who you are or have a faint sense of who you are, boy, you're in for a bad ride if you don't, you know, that's what I was talking about, you know, the exploitation side. Um, Well, you can look up. Yeah, you can look
1: up. You may succeed and and it may work for a while to go be this because people be, be this, be this. And all of a sudden you can look up though. And when you're stuck there quiet at home in your bed alone at night, all of a sudden that company ain't any good. And what do you want to do when that company's no good? Well, usually we want to numb that feeling. <laughs> so there's many different ways to reach out in the world to numb Did that Did
0: you feeling. ever go through a period where you were maybe? Numbing myself? Yeah, were there any things that, that you, you know? Oh, I mean, look,
1: I've had, uh, uh, you know, times in my life where I would look back and go, I you know, don't want to make it a habit to, to drink that much. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, or, or, um, you know, times where I'm like, ah, oh, geez, I, you know, it's kind of I call it I call it like a Vegas syndrome. It's hard for, hard to sleep in Vegas when you know all that stuff's going. It's like FOMO, all that stuff's going on downstairs, twenty four seven. It's like sleep. What are you talking about? Let's go gamble. Um, but I always I was always had a pretty good feeling that oh this is a if I was in one of those phases I was like this is a stop, not a stay. You know, I know I'm just renting this right now, this place that I'm at. This is not to own. This is just to rent. So go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you make of the way that you see the world right now? I, I, you just hear it from everyone. Is like, I'm not even talking about COVID. There's, there's so much, you know, I'm not even talking about the politicization. There seems to be an energy that's quite unsettling. No trust. Do you, I'm sure you've yeah. tapped into that. I'm sure you, you have a read on it. I
1: think the major the major thing right now that's that could have long term really harmful effects is the lack of trust that we have in each other, in leaders, in ourselves. Um, you know, part of that is in the long term healthy in that we're having to reevaluate, we're having to remeasure things that maybe we took for granted before. And but how do we how do we how do we reconnect and have a bit of trust in each other and ourselves again? That's the, I think the biggest hill that we that we that we have to climb. Um, you know, I I'm told that I go into situations trusting more than most people, and I think that's correct. And we all know I don't go into a situation with hundred percent trust. You could be a fool to do that. You're susceptible. Not everyone out there's got your best interest, you know, coming at you if you just come out with with full trust. But I'm, I'm noticing the people I talk to are saying they go into every situation now with zero trust and saying, it's up to you to allow me to build my trust in you via from when we started this conversation, with any conversation. That now you can, I can only build the trust, or you can keep me right there where I don't trust you. I mean, I I, 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 hope I got a pretty good gauge on. I come in with the best intentions. I come in with a certain reverence for people, thinking that they're coming at me the best. I got good spider senses though, you know. Of of if in, in this, you know, interview, you ask me a certain question, maybe you already have that. I'm like, ah, I think he's trying to get this. My I, my alarm goes off over here, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll weave through it in, in live. But I'm coming in. Already with a certain amount of trust, um, and I do know this that when we go in with a little more trust, it can inspire the person that you're talking to to give more trust as well in a given in a given relationship, in a given communication, in, in a given meeting. Um, I think we gotta we gotta we gotta build that expectation up a little bit across, and I think that's part of why people are feeling really kind of lost in like well, what's what's the, what's the tangible step out of this going into the future. Uh, and then we have the added challenge that in many ways, just technically, this is going to be our means of communication and has become a means of communication remotely in the future, to some extent. This is going to be it. And you're telling me you want to build more trust and I we can't even be in the same room? That's an odd idea for many of us. but um, I
0: think it can be done. Yeah. I want to just quickly go back to the fame bit. Um, I want to get to the the politics as well, but Jim Carrey said something that that was quite profound. I mean, he he, talked about a transition. Um, He said, you know, I wish everybody could be rich and famous for a day just so they could see that it wasn't the answer. And I think that kind of, I, I wanted to ask you about that specific statement. How... You know, you've had the spotlight shine on you for so long. How harmful would you say fame can be? I, I, I see right. that it hasn't destroyed you from the inside. Right. You've made it out alive, as as, as you right. mentioned in the book. How do you feel about the amount of attention that celebrities receive? Is there something in Jim's right. statement that really hints at the, the truth? Something deeper there?
1: Well, the truth is the truth in his statement is what you just said how what how potentially harmful can fame be well extremely harmful if you think it's the answer i never thought it was the answer was it at the top of my was it one of the things at the top of my list to go achieve as it was happening and a, a, a aspiration sure but i never thought like oh that's ta-da oh i oh i've oh i've oh i've got it if i get that if i get money and fame, then I've made it. Was it at times, where there have been times in my life where that was the consuming sort of aspiration? for Sure, but I never thought it was the, the answer. So I think that's the truth in what he's saying. If you think that's the answer, eh, negatory. It's fine to go pursue it. Um, but I'll say this, there's certain parts of it. And I bring up this at the beginning of my book, when faced with the inevitable, get relative. I write about that time in the book, the Monday after A Time to Kill. I was famous. I felt it. The world was a mirror, man. It changed, and it hit me. I went like, I'm famous. Wow. Oh, how cool. Shit. All in the same sentence. I went, oh, okay. Now, from that day on, I said, you know, people want to now know what's going on in my life. Paparazzi, that, that, and the other. Do I like those things? Usually not. But I'm like, but don't gripe about them all the time because that check's already cashed, bro. <laughs> it's done, it's inevitable. I, so don't, so to, I don't know what, it's not going to do any good to him and Hall. About that existence. That check is in a, it's cashed. It, that is inevitable now. So how do we navigate? How do I get relative with going through life um, and not being completely exploited? Uh, not just being someone who's going to go, yeah, whenever you want, tell whatever story you want on me. I'm an open book. Bullshit. Uh. Uh. Got to get protect. Got to protect some certain things and define what those things are you want to protect. Um, and everyone's got their. Anyone who's famous and rich has different ways they go about it. I'm one who chose two chooses. I would say, if you look at other people in my position, I choose to live a life a little less insulated than most of my peers in my position. I that's not the, the work I want to do. I I don't I don't want to. I can I can set up anytime I go out three matching black suburbans with tinted windows. So the, so if you're following me, you're not sure which car I'm in, I can do that. I have no problem with people who do. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to work that hard. I'm just like, no, I'm going to go. I want to go do what I would do as a civilian before I was famous. Even though I am famous.
0: But again, I I kind of realizing through your answers that you stayed very true in the book as well, that you have a very grounded antenna. What I mean by that is at some point very early on, you probably realized, holy shit, this isn't for me and this is. I mean, I I got the sense that you moved to Texas because you probably felt that, you know, if you stayed there, you'd you'd probably shrivel up or at least that's the sense I got. And it was a wise decision. So not many people have that kind of very grounded antenna that you have. You have a, you know, you have a conscience that you listen to and it's wise and um, you have to cultivate that antenna, right? Yeah, I think, I mean...
1: I mean, look, I don't know exactly how to define where it came from, but yes, has it served me well? If you look, there's another one. I disengaged and said, I'm stepping out, I'm going to Texas. Two years of no work turned out to be a great time of no work, turned out to be a great decision. Would I have been able to hold on to that, my constitution there in Hollywood during that time? Would have been a hell of a lot harder, but I've taken those walkabouts or disengaged at times, four years on the road in an Airstream. I was a disengagement. I could have been living in a 16-bedroom house in the Hollywood Hills, but I chose to go live in an Airstream on the road. I needed that bit of distance. Um, So, I mean, you gotta gotta measure that antenna, because look, there's good fear and there's bad fear. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're just, we're we're, we're scared and like it's it's too much. And it's not fame. Hollywood's not fame and fame is not for everybody. We see examples all the time. Some people do not handle it well. I've had times where I've not handled it so well, but overall, I think I've handled it pretty well. But there's, there's fear of like, I don't wanna, you know, this is too much. I don't want the spotlight scares me. Well, why? Are you susceptible to something or are you just having stage fright? Well, if you're famous and you don't want, your you're, you're from it because you got stage fright, well, that's kind of not the right fear. Don't, don't leave for that. If, maybe the fame's not for you is what, what you're saying. I, I never thought fame was not for me. I became
0: famous, I was like, cool. Matthew, uh, I should call you Pastor Matthew, wise guy you are. Has there anything that your characters that you've played in the movies taught you about your own life? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, pick one. Um, You know, Dallas Buyers Club, boy, you get a character whose need is to stay alive. That is the greatest, I'm like, oh, I'm on that. Just keep lip, yes, I'll do, all, all rules are off. If it's about like, what do I need to do to survive? <laughs> Give me, I'll, 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 I'll trust myself to out endure that. I'll fight for that until the end. That's inherent. I learned that, that that's a strong point for me. Um, children. Even before I had kids and I write about the book, always want to be a father. I was able to go understand and really, boy, couldn't wait. Even when I, before I was a father in real life to go play fathers on a screen, still knowing that, man, that's what I can't wait to be one day. Now that I have children, um, that going and playing fathers have been something that has been uh, um, natural for me. That I can, again, those things, I'll fight for that. I'll fight to the death for that. Give me the ball. If you want me to take, If you want me to be the guy that's taking care of the family, so to speak, in a movie. De- true detective Rustin Cole. I don't know. What is he? Not a believer. You know what I mean? I am a believer. I know that I was able to go deep into Rustin Cole's psyche and love it and believe it. Because in my real life I was as spiritually sound as I've ever been. If I wouldn't have been as spiritually sound as I was in my real life, I don't think I could have gone so far into enjoying inhabiting Rustin Cole's mindset. You know what I mean? But I had trust and confidence in my own belief and my own relationship with God that I was like, oh yeah, let's go spend a year in Rustin Cole's head and trust that we're, we're, you know when, when I come back, my church is still open, you know what I mean? Um, and I've learned that I like that. I like going from opposing extremes. I actually like coming from a comedy into a drama. I like going from a drama, drama into a comedy. I like coming from a space, place in my life where I'm spiritual, super spiritually sound into a role like Rustin Cole. So I like the opposites.
0: What does spiritually sound mean to you? What, when you, when you keep referencing that, what does that mean to you? mean
1: like practically or like, like my, my belief in my relationship with God? Meaning when I'm going around the world, you know, one of the keys is when I'm getting a little sh- on shaky ground and I need to bend a knee is I, I'll find my, my, myself objectifying people, places, even myself. What do you mean? Well, not seeing people, as brothers and sisters in humanity, and maybe looking at like, what could they do for me, or or what is, or or, or what, or or looking, or or I'll see maybe the foible in them, or the the crack, or the, the disease, not the health. And that's why 622 is such a great verse for me. Keep the high eye, keep looking for, come in with trust, if I'm not a spiritually sound, I'm coming in with less trust. If I'm not a spiritually sound, I'm 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 dissecting, your where you may be an ugly or mischievous or wrong or what your problem might be. I don't, I don't want to be aware of that, but I don't. When I'm more spiritually sound, I'm seeing I'm aware of that, but I'm much more on the upside of seeing that, seeing the affirmations in people.
0: You know, you're a guy that's very sounded and grounded and you bring a lot when you bring something to a space. You give it your all, I suspect. That's the feeling I get. So, you know, we're living in a time which is, as I said before, unsettling and turbulent wherever you go in the world. People are feeling, um, yeah, you know, unsettled. So so what do you want to bring to the space next? Because, you know, I've heard rumours you said, how can I be useful in a, in a leadership role? And I don't know what that means, but I'd love you to expand on how you bring the, the, the vast insight and wisdom that you have and, you know, that overview to to a place, especially in America. I mean, we've seen what's what America's been through. It's been on the, the hospital bed for the last couple of years. Yep. What, what do you... Are you trying to fix it? What do you want to, you know, what are your thoughts about your next move? And- I,
1: I I think I've got a, um, a place when I say be useful in a leadership role. I'm not trying to fix it. I do think that I can help maybe inspire us to fix it ourselves and that it starts with the individual. It starts with you and me, you've seen I've said this before, in the damn mirror. And if we start taking better care of ourselves, all of a sudden, that's the collective change that we start to see. That's the policy change. That's how it fixes itself. Now, how do I go about that? That's what I'm still massaging now. What is that? Um, I've done movies. they are four filters. I'm doing someone else's script. Directed by someone else, lensed by someone else, edited by someone else. I wrote a book. That's one filter. It's still the written word. So how can I go, hey man, go be a representation of what you're, what you're talking about or what you believe. Um, I've got to put myself to task on that. And I think when I do that even more thoroughly, I'm going to see what my, what my place is to, for the next however many years for me in this n- new page that I'm turning in my life. Um, My hunch has been, and it still is, one part of this is that we need to redefine what our values are again, that are non-denominational, that don't matter what side of the political aisle you're on, that the world's looking for a solid stepping stone to go, all right, just give me one solid foot that I can trust that's not gonna sink, that that's gonna be solid, that I can put my next step there. Can we do that? I think that's through a common denominator of values that we can all agree on and have, that can start to bind our social contracts again. Is that through politics? Is that through a ministry? Is that through an institute? Is it through being a chief marketing officer? of the values that that, that, that that actually do unite us. Because I'm not looking for, a, I'm, I'm not a believer in the kumbaya world. I'm not a believer in the, oh yeah, if we all just could get along, we're all the same. I think that's, I think that's foolish. I don't think that's true. It,
0: it's um, so interesting you say that because if I think about it now, there's a thread through a lot of your characters and your films, which is hope, or at least that's what I, I read of, the, of, the, of the, the movies that I've seen. There's a lack of hope at the moment, and and that worries me a lot. Um, people feel quite um, not only distrustful but dystopian about the future. So so hope is important as well, isn't it?
1: Hope is very important, but and I don't think hope ever goes out of style. Or I don't think any. I don't think there's a bad time for hope anywhere. I don't know where, as far as I can tell, I haven't found a place where you go. Oh, hope's not. good thing for that right now it's not it's never the wrong time for hope at the same time i want to know when you tell me hope and i hear someone say hope and i'm very hopeful i'm very optimistic i want to hear the science behind it i want to go come on man well that's that's all great you know i I, I, you you you, i i love you hope lets us project you know into the future yes well, I don't want to be selling vapid Hallmark card evangelism, you know, uh, 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 of, 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 of being a fatalist either. I'm like, no, it's, 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 there's hope, but we got to build our way into the hope. Because you throw hope out there on its own. It's like I talk about with like, we say a, a, a leader gets in a position. We, 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 we campaign for them. We believe in them and they've got us on our front porch, and we were sitting down, and now we're at the edge of the front porch, we're standing on the edge waiting for election night, and they get in office, and we're like, yes! And then we go sit back down on our chair in the porch. So the hope is great, but we gotta understand, our leaders don't, aren't gonna do it for us. They may have a vision that we follow, but they're not gonna do it. For, they're not the nuts and bolts. They're not, they don't have the hammer and nail. We gotta do that, and it's a daunting task because you're like, wait, what can I change? Well. If enough of us clue into, oh yeah, all I got to do is worry about my hammer and nail. Then all of a sudden you look around and go, ho ho, got a little movement happening here. Got some things happening, we're building better people. Ooh, we're building people that, that understand delayed gratification, that actually they're, they're doing something that's helping themselves out because I do believe it's gotta be, again, very personal, but it's also good for the most amount of people. That spot where the decisions, what's best for me is best for we, for each one of us, I think mean, that's the honey hole. It's just how do I how do I get people to understand that? How do you see, you know, we we you talk about money and fame? Look at my country. What do we tell you success is? What do we tell you you get respect for? What do you get a seat at the table? That was all V V I P for money and fame, baby. That's the two. Well, if that's the two, if that's the goal, we're all going to (laughs) lose. If that's not, that's not, as Jim Carrey said, that's not the answer. I got nothing to, I got no problem with those being up near the top. But I don't think those should be the top
0: two. But you played quite a vital role in promoting that. I'm
1: not, look, I'm not interested in battling saying, I'm not saying, don't, Want money and fame. No. Fame's great. Go for it. But it's not the as you said, it's yeah. not the answer. Money's great. It's a great tool. I'm not, I'm also when I say I'm not talking about Kumbaya, I'm not talking about, I think I my the what what my idea, it's a for-profit idea. <laughs> I just want to redefine the word profit a little bit. <laughs> I want to redefine the word currency. Yeah. And that also, I'm not saying don't fill your bank account. Go fill it. Not at the expense of your soul's account. I'm for profit. Yeah, let's make some money on this deal. Yeah, let's get famous off this deal. Go for it. But that's not the only answer. It's missing its, missing the, it's, missing its parallel category or, or on, the, on, the, on the ladder of what it is that we achieve because we see a lot of people that we see time and time again. That's not the answer. People that have gone through gotten famous or gotten rich, whether they realize it now in life, most of them will at least realize it on their deathbed that, oh, shit, I w- that wasn't the only carrot. <laughs> that wasn't what I was supposed to be chasing the whole time, that I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm laying here on my deathbed, I'm barren because I was a slave to those aspirations only. They look around and go, I've heard people say all the time, get into the twilight of life, go, ah, if I could do it again, I would have put my values in a different order.
0: You know, just so you know, Walmart being the biggest company in the world, pound for pound per capita, the guy that founded it, the great-grandfather, grandfather, his last words on his deathbed were, I'm not joking, was, I blew it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it was oh, the reason why he said that was because he he never spent any time with his kids or his family. I mean, that was one one measure of it, but you know, he said yeah. I blew it. I mean, the the richest family in you Yeah. Know. Yeah.
1: in Arkansas. Yeah. You know, I mean, can we hear something like that without immediately going, yeah, but that he was old and tired and feeling nostalgic. You know what I mean? Can, you know, you know it, can, can we hear something like that and go, well, let's unpack that. What do you mean he blew it? He had everything out to do anything to have that. That's what most of us say, right? What do you mean he blew it? Let's unpack that. You just brought up something didn't know his kids or get along with them or didn't enjoy, I mean, look, I mean, I think one tool for perspective on this that we're all so damn afraid of is admitting the the impermanence of our life. It's a, it, it, we're, we're, you know, even believers, you know, all talk about wanting to get to heaven, no one's in rush to get there. You know what I mean? No, no, don't talk about death. Oh, no, 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 <gasps> That's, yeah, what, what are you talking about? Talk about the inevitable, That's one of, that, that is the ultimate inevitable. I mean, we jump into there, go to that. That's why I bring up in the, in the book about go to your eulogy. Have fun with just thinking about it. Hop forward, project in the future, have a look back. Get objective with your life a little bit. Have a look back and go, hmm, what do you think? How's this decision I'm going to make today? What am I going to feel about it 10 years from now, 20 years from now? The other thing is youth. Youth thinks you're going to live forever. So what do you mean you blew it, old man? Ha, not me. I won't because I'm living forever. Yeah, No, you're not, but I don't want to put a damper on your your youthful vigor because we want that vigor. We want that I can conquer the world feeling. Don't want to damper that down. But in context, well, what do we, I think we could realign what it is we're trying to achieve, what it is we call successful. And I think that's a great thing to ask. You. What do, what, 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 define success, define profit, define currency, define, redefine selfishness. I, all of you read enough to know, I'm all for the redefinition of the word selfishness. I think the ultimate definition is that actually you are doing more for yourself in the future while doing the most, for the most amount of others. That selfish and selfless are part and parcel in their truest sense. Um, I would even say redefine religion. We all like to say I ain't religious, I'm just spiritual. You know what religion means? Latin religion? Tell me. Comes from the, the word legare, L-E-G-A-R-E, which means to bind together. <clears throat> re means again to bind together again well everybody I've talked to that's spiritual that's that's the flag they're waving to some sense that's it we want to unify when you, religion now mankind has bastardized religion along the way corporatized it made it inclusive with exclusion I mean, there's many reasons to go, I don't want to be, I'm not that. But I'm for like, well, let's take it back. (laughs) Let's get prescriptive on the word and take the word religion back because it's all religion. If you got any aim, any intent, that's all religious. Don't be afraid of the word. Damn the people how it's been abused. Yes, indeed, Damn, damn them. But don't. Don't let now you fall back and go, but I don't want to be that. No, let's just hijack it back. Hijack the word back and get its true meaning back again.
0: Yeah, binding again. No, I like that. Um, Matthew, I've taken up enough of your time. Really, really, really mean it when I say I enjoyed this conversation immensely. Well, I I, I did too, Ari. You're doing the good
1: work, so I
0: appreciate it.
1: Thanks, man. I'm, here's the interesting position I'm in right now. Yeah, I, I was reminded it was interesting because I was told this usually doesn't happen, but I think I understand my why. I just don't know my how right now.
0: <laughs> Your how being what the vehicle? You
1: know, yeah. What is what, what what in what in what way am I gonna can I help yeah. better people? What is that? Because I don't want it. I don't want it to be legislated. I don't like being told what to do. I don't think anybody likes being told what to do. I don't want to throw
0: a mandate. Well, you just did. You sold zillions of books, so you're telling people how to live their, their truest self. I mean, that's the best work you can do.
1: Well, I'm on, I'm, I'm on it. I'm just saying, what's the next, you <laughs> know? <And> I, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. Well, see, I'm glad it's translated, man. I'm glad yeah, it's translated. Yeah, I
0: mean, that, that's the best thing you can do is be true to yourself and help other people can, you can infect people with that. You know, that's important. Maybe that is the work. That you need to be doing, you know. Right. So well,
1: that'd be a good epidemic. I wouldn't. We wouldn't want a vaccine for.
0: Listen, I just wrote a piece for my magazine called "What We're Getting Wrong About Climate Change and Mental Health," and my theory is is that you know climate change being the biggest impending catastrophe we face on planet Earth, mental health is just an internal reflection of our declining internal habitat our mental health is 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 it's it's a natural symptom we're going to you're going to notice that our mental health is declining if our mental health declines our external health declines our external health being the environment you know and vice versa our
1: external climate declines our mental health declines
0: yeah, it's, it's vis-a-vis. There is no, ex. well, this is another discussion. There is no external. There is only ourselves. This is right. what the, right. the great spiritual Earth. sages Earth. say, you know. Earth. So you can't say the climb is the climb. When you go out there and they say we need to decrease by two degrees and we need a net zero target, it's all bullshit. It's, it, you need a net zero target within yourself. What does right. that mean? You need to decrease the carbon within yourself, the hot right. air. It's all a metaphor. It's all a spiritual metaphor.
1: I dig. I dig. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you.
0: (laughs) The biggest catastrophe on planet Earth isn't climate, isn't COVID. It's our mental health, which is our spiritual health.
1: I love it. That's, I hear you, man. We're saying the frontier we need to be working on. It's right here and right there—that's the frontier.
0: You have to get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: with you, man. I'm with you. I you dig. know what I mean? Yes, I do. Well, I, I dig it, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna go with that and unpack, the, uh, unpack that.
0: Um, yeah, a pleasure to talk to you, man. And you know, well. you're doing good work. And indeed. And good luck with your next chapter in your life. Hey, I mean, thank it. you. I appreciate that. You've been listening to the 52 Insights podcast. I'm Ari Stein. Thanks to Portico Quartet for their track Endless and thanks to Joel Stein of Glass Maps for producing this podcast. Sign up to the 52 Insights newsletter and subscribe to my podcast channel to get access to my latest interviews with extraordinary people.